Welcome to the fourth episode of Demol Valkyrie Season 11 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who you absolutely should not shine a black light on if you don't want to get blinded by the reflection, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. This was another fantastic episode to watch. Yeah, I think after getting halfway through the season, production must be feeling ten times better than they did at this point last year. <laughs> yep. They've managed to do four executions in a row. Arguably, this week's one wasn't as standard as the rest of them, but they've done four executions in a row with absolutely nobody dying yet. Especially with quite the ambitious twist this week. The unprecedented ambitious twist. Yeah, that's caused a lot of um, a lot of discussion online in the past couple of days. Yeah, because... We'll, we'll get to it later, but now everyone's gonna, going to be analyzing... How much of an advantage does Comfort have now in the game? But we do have some parish notices to get to beforehand, which, obviously, you've missed all these. First amongst them is the fact that I forgot to say who Bindle suspected last week, because he did send them before we recorded. So his order last week was Comfort, Toast, Thomas, Lila, Reuben, Lisa Lot, and then Lancelot. Yeah, the, lo- the lots aren't being suspected a lot. No, we don't suspect them a lot anymore. We suspect them the least of the lot. Something you missed while you were away as well that I did mean to mention to you last week was the fact that Peter off of Mexico has left the priesthood, got married, and is now becoming a father. Oh, that's a hell of a trend. <laughs> no pun intended there. That's a hell of a transition. Yeah, his his wife is pregnant, I believe. I believe she's still pregnant. I don't think she's given birth yet. A mole baby. <laughs> In other baby-related news, my next-door neighbour is with the adorable dog Ludo, who I have mentioned a few times as my dog son, and you will hear in at least one of the historians that I call him the dog son. Mm-hmm. His mum gave birth last night to a beautiful baby girl. Oh, okay. Another pup for the litter? Yeah, another another member of the pack. So I'm very, uh, very pleased for them, I found out this morning. Something I wanted to mention off the back of last week, because I did have some very nice messages about me having bought a house and the saga that I'm having with Amazon. You'll be pleased to know that has now continued because where we left off, we recorded last Tuesday and yes. Amazon Amazon were meant to deliver my bed frame and my desk last Monday. Then it got sent to a place 18 miles away. Last Tuesday, I went up to Armstone Heights again and they didn't even bother to try and deliver. Last Thursday, it was rescheduled for and they yet again tried to deliver it to the wrong address 18 miles away. So I slightly lost my shit at them, got the desk delivered here instead to my parents' house, and hopefully by the time that we, uh, by the time we release this episode on Thursday, I will have a bed frame from another company who can actually find my new home. So is Amazon offering to do anything else in compensation for how badly they've been screwing it up? Well, Amazon gave me £55 worth of vouchers, which have already been spent on something else for the house, so um, I can't complain too much on that front particularly. Oh, it's like a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, given the the total order between the two items was about three hundred pounds. I've I've got a sixth of it back plus the refund, so I can't complain too much on that front at least. Yeah, because some other companies they're a hell of a lot harder to deal with. Yeah, I have no complaints about Amazon customer service. Just they need to actually get their shit together and find my new house. We also, off the back of that, have two separate listener questions. Oh. One of which is for you, so I'm going to start with that one. 
Uh, I'm not being trolled in a second, am I? Which is from John on Facebook, who said, Wait, why did Logan drop Connie after everyone mentioned her reaction to the lamp dropping? Can you explain the inference? Oh, because I thought that was production's way of just trying to single her out too much, and if she was the mole, they wouldn't have done that. And you were right in the end, surprisingly. Yeah, she went home pretty much right after that scene. <laughs> and Katya on Instagram said, The reason Lila doesn't want to talk to Lisa lot is because she cannot understand her. Both Lisa Lot and Thomas are from Westlanders, and they have quite an accent. As an original Dutchie myself, that is tricky to understand. And with Lila being French-speaking from origin and learning Dutch in the Netherlands, she just cannot understand Lisa Lot and Thomas if they speak in their natural way. Therefore, she asked for Lisa Lot to speak normal Dutch, as opposed to in her Westlanders accent. Which explains something we were confused about last week. Yeah, I, I did briefly. That was through um, through Baller's Bar, right? Well, this, this was actually directly to us on Instagram, but yeah. Oh, okay. They were discussing that on Baller's Bar too, I think, when I was glancing at it. I can't read through too much of Baller's Bar since too much of the too many of the old Bidum seasons that I haven't watched yet are referenced on there pretty consistently. So it's yeah. like, eh, I'll take a quick gander. Oh no, shit, shit, shit! That's Mexico season. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> Spoilers for what historians isn't Logan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no! I should have said, oh no, it's the. I just saw a spoiler for the Scotland season. Wait, I already watched that. We're slowly narrowing this down. People are going to work out this, <laughs> this clues hidden in these episodes soon. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who was expecting the Scotland season. I will say there is one clue that I am going to reveal in the reunion for this season that has been leading to Vidim Historians. I'm very excited for it because nobody spied it. It's one I think I have been discussing with you and Bindles a lot. But yeah, on that note... If you do have any questions, comments, anything you want us to talk about, then please just hit us up on social media. Everywhere as RTV Warriors, because I love reading them, and then I get to surprise Logan with them, and it's great. Yeah. And I will mention this at the end of the episode as well, but with our Patreon that I do mention a lot, until the end of Belkia, we are going to run a little promotion that I've already put into place today as of the time of recording, uh, where I've reduced the prices of some of the lower tiers. In a few weeks, you will find out what Vidim Historians is earlier, so it might be worth getting on board sooner rather than later if you want to know early. So this episode. Yes, it's the fourth episode. The fourth of flavoring. We're halfway through the season already. Oh, they're halfway through. Oh, Papa Bear Joe Costa. he didn't mention that during the episode that they were at the halfway point, right? That didn't come up at all. Only a few thousand times. Apparently the fourth episode is a big deal this season. Yeah, because usually it's the second episode that's the big deal, but I would argue that the fourth episode was way bigger a deal this season. Well, especially with the twists they implement this episode. So previously, six of the final eight ran from a horse while Ruben and Lisa Lot sifted through shit to win cash. Everyone tried to protect their eggs in a journey around the Red Rocks of Sedona before a motel room dilemma saw Toast and Lisa Lot have the option for exemptions. At the execution, we bid a fond farewell to Connie as she was the third person sent packing. A motel room what? Motel Room Dilemma. Ah. So we pick up two days later at the next execution. Jill shows the red screen and gets up to leave. He says that the trip is halfway through, and those who are on the wrong track are doomed to get a red screen. You cannot change the future. However, this episode, you can try. And the episode title is Marty, the Future Isn't Written, It Can Be Changed, from Back to the Future, a film that Cano points out came out in a year earlier than everyone apart from Thomas was born in, in this season. Yeah, the original was 85, right? 
Yeah. I don't think anyone other than Thomas was alive in 1985, given that that is 38 years ago now. Yeah, that would depress my sister. Oh, no, or the movie's set in 1985 for part of it. Because I was thinking, because part three came out in like 90 or 91, and and that came out almost right after the second one, because if you have the VHS tape for Back to the Future 2, they promote Back to the Future 3 after you watch the movie on a VHS tape. So maybe it was 88? I think it said 85 in the episode. It did say 85, but I don't know if that, that's, that was the, the year that the movie was set in. I can indeed confirm that nobody apart from Thomas, who's left in this season, was born when Back to the Future actually came out. Assuming it was 1985. Do you think they all, they all knew that reference? I think so, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's common enough pop culture, even in Belgium. We're going 88, Marty! And we open properly with a kid, delivering newspapers and hitting a lot of cacti. And after eight days in northern Arizona, they are now in Tucson. That was another 80s reference, because the way that they filmed that scene and the sound effect of the dog barking, it reminded me a lot of the NES version of Paperboy. Yeah, I can't remember which film it was actually referencing that opener, but someone has already pointed it out on uh, on Bother's Bar. Maybe the Burbs or something like that? Something like that. And Oh! Speaking of with Back to the Future, have you ever played the NES version of the original Back to the Future game? I have not. You forget that Canada was about 10 years backwards to the rest of the world, and also I am significantly younger than you are. Significantly? Yeah. Until two and a half weeks ago, I was in a completely different decade than you and Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I'm clinging on to this. (laughs) Just because as of the time of recording, we're only one year apart, technically. I guess my the siblings that I have are much older than than the sibling you have. Like I grew up with having an NES, Super Nintendo, and N sixty four all in the all in the house being played uh, at the same time. Yeah, bear in mind that I think today the day of the recording is thirty one years since the SNES came out originally. Ninety one. It came out. SNES came out in ninety one. Let me have a look. It might be the European date. I could see that. It was indeed. Yep. 31 years today since it came out in the UK and Ireland. That's quite the delay compared to the North America release. Yeah, welcome to Nintendo up until, like, the 3DS, maybe even the Switch. I think the only significant one-up that Europe got over North America in terms of Super Nintendo games is you guys got the official release for Terra Enigma in 1995, but North America did not. On the Nintendo subject, by the way, I watched uh, the Super Mario film last week, and it was actually quite good. Yeah, I heard mixed reviews saying it's not, it's a fun movie, they're not, they're not going for depth. It's more of just, here's this character, here's that character. It's just supposed to be fun and good. It's 90 minutes of fan service, and it was very entertaining for, for that time. People are being rather miserable about it, is what I have to say, because it was, it was a very fun film. Yeah, what were they expecting? Like, is it a Best Picture Oscar nominee? No, it's, ne- it's never going to be up there in terms of the best films ever, but it was a solidly entertaining 90 minutes. And I don't go to the movies very much. I know you go far more than I do, but I don't go to the movies very much, and I very much enjoyed it. I remember watching the original Super Mario Brothers film on VHS... And I still have PTSD from that. I think, I I remember somebody one time had rented, when we would go into the video store, 
somebody had a melted copy of Super Mario Brothers on inside the back of their car because they left it out in the hot sun. I'm thinking, video store probably doesn't care if, <laughs> if a copy of Super Mario Brothers got melted. So Lancelot gets a newspaper and sees the headline, Belgian TV show causes underground explosion at nuclear base. Apparently it happens at 5pm the next day, and one of them was heard mumbling something about Passfragen. Two of them were left in the final room. The newspaper is for the next day, which is November 6th, which means my boasting about working out the timeline was completely wrong, which is annoying. The explosion was caused by two candidates going for Passfragen, and it is up to them to change the future. Is that supposed to be a loose reference to, what is that, War of the Worlds? I think it's probably just more of a reference to the fact that, as Gilles said in the episode, Arizona was a nuclear testing ground. There's a lot of empty space in Arizona. It's basically just from Arizona to New Mexico is is where they did all of the testing for nuclear bombs. And for producing meth. And also for where they faked the moon landings. Although that was up in Nevada, wasn't it? Technically. Roswell, or yeah, Nevada, or maybe Roswell, or something like that. Yeah, I think Nevada was where they faked the moon landings, and Arizona and New Mexico was where they tested the nuclear bombs. This was embarrassing at trivia yesterday. They said, who was the one guy from Apollo 11 who got left, who didn't step out onto the moon? And we all had heard the guy's name a million times, and we just could not come up with his name. Michael Collins. Yes, that is correct. Well, you were there. Two reasons I know. One, I'm a massive space nerd. Been to Kennedy Space Center many a time, Every pretty much every time I go to Florida. Last year was the first time I'd been to Florida and not gone to Kennedy. And that was mm-hmm. only because it was a pain in the ass to get to. And when me and my brother went to um, the Houston in 2020, right before COVID, we did go to Johnson Space Center as well. And two is the fact that he shares his name with a uh, rather famous member of the IRA. Oh, really? Yeah. Michael Collins, the IRA guy. He was a bit of a wrong one, shall we say. So at 3.58pm, Gilles talks to them while they're sat in chairs wearing blindfolds. They're sat above the base where the largest nuclear weapon ever was made, the Titan II rocket. Gilles says he'll do a lot to stay out of the newspaper, and they will win €5,000 if they stop the explosion and keep him out of the paper. To get to the launch site, they will need a harness, and to earn a harness, they will need to identify one of the five correct elements on boards behind him, and not fall for one of the two fakes. Each of them also has a code on their backs, and he advises that they keep that code secret from everyone else if they want to survive. It would have been funny that if they failed the challenge, you just see Jill take out a binder with codes in it and then bring up the laptop and just reluctantly punch in the code to fire one of the missiles to, to Russia and just say, well, I told them if they fail, that's uh, it's, it's going to be 600 times more powerful than Hiroshima. Can't say I didn't warn them. Sorry, Soviet Union. Yeah. There goes Siberia. And I know a lot of people picked up on this online, but that newspaper was brilliant. There were so many sight gags in the newspaper. Yeah, I didn't have enough time to go through each one because there were smaller smaller articles in there too, right? Yeah, so the other headline was 10 ways to win a discussion without using guns. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. Uh, the top tagline was local man says he spoke to Jesus on Friday was very real. Hey, Easter just happened. The tagline of the paper was all the news that might have happened. Someone also spotted that Gilles' name was misspelt, and he was in custody, apparently. Custody? Custody, yeah, he was in, uh, in police custody. 
Oh, I thought custardy, like the joke they have on The Office. But my favourite one was the fact there was a very visible QR code a few times. And if you scan the QR code, people think, obviously, this is going to be a, uh, a clue to who the mole is. It just comes up with a message that says, no tips here. If you then look into the source code of the, uh, the source code of the website, it's a message from Gilles saying, no, not at all. Best regards. <laughs> wow. So they really thought this out with the newspaper. They went all in on it, just like Comfort did on the quiz. And the other story that was on the front page, well, there's two more stories on the front page, one of which was um, fact check, no link between COVID-19 vaccines and erectile dysfunction. And the other was Fox News, colon, Democrats are controlled by reptile aliens, proven fact, written by Sean Hennity. <laughs> are you serious? That's yeah. gutsy. If you look on the uh, the Demol Instagram page, they've got the entire front page of the Tucson today. The first one is the new version that, with history rewritten, it's changed to. But the second one is is indeed exactly the same as it was on uh, on the one we saw in the episode, because I saw Fox News colon Democrats on the folded up bit. That would have been so much fun to write. Yeah, there's also a box um, on the front page saying, sorry, no hint here, Clue Hunter's disappointed. Another drama unfolded online during last night's episode of Demol. Some people thought they'd found a secret hint, but no. Here's what happened. 8.03pm, sudden excitement, colon, TV viewers spotted a suspicious QR code in the newspaper. 8.04pm, viewers paused the show to scan the code, leading to a simple webpage. 8.05pm, massive disappointment, as there was only a short message. Sorry, no hint here. That is some mad trolling. The headline story, I'm also slightly convinced they put in just for us, because it says, We're very relieved, says the show's host, Giles DaCosta, 41. Usually, whenever there are any past frog involved, things go out of control and start exploding. But not this time. DaCosta, who weirdly kept addressing everyone around him as his best friends, left the scene carrying two strange wooden discs. See picture. These past frog, for once, were no match for the group's efforts. I'm pretty sure they put in that line about DaCosta, who weirdly addresses everyone as best friends. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that was just for us. So, much appreciated, guys. <laughs> yeah, everyone's his best friend, and... He's the best friend of the podcast, though, so, you know, this is just repaying it. So, Thomas, Lisa Lot, and Lila immediately get up and head for the boards, and it ends in an argument with the rest of the group. Lisa Lot claims Brodium, which is fake. Comfort goes for Strontium. Reuben goes for Thorium. Toast goes for Polonium. Lila goes for Radium. Lancelot for Cesium. And Thomas for Uranium. And Lancelot and Lisa Lot can steal a harness if they remember anyone else's code. How many of the correct five did you know out of interest? I would have struggled. It's been a while since I looked at the periodic table. Sorry, Mendeleev. Yeah, I would have been confident with uranium, obviously, and polonium yep. and radium. I knew thorium as well. I wouldn't have, if this happened at Trivia last night, I would not have recalled thorium. Yeah, I knew thorium was one of them. I wouldn't have got strontium. So I would have got four out of five. I feel like these are names of Pokemon rather than elements. Oh, if it was Pokemon or a medicinal drug, I would have been 100% on it. But with just elements on the periodic table, I can I can get four of those five. So Lancelot doesn't attempt anything, but Lancelot attempts to go for Thomas's code and gets it wrong, leaving the same five to descend. Once they descend, they realise that all they've got to do is get across a minefield to claim one of two passes to get to the final room. And Lancelot says, trapped, up above ground with Lancelot that she only went fast because she really wanted to participate in something for once in this season. 
wonder if Headstrong should have played while she was trapped. Where do you think the mole was in this challenge? Underground? <laughs> yeah, do you think do you think the mole was in the first group in the group that got left behind on the um on the minefield or in the final room? Uh I don't I don't think Lot nor Lancelot are the mole whatsoever. I think they were in that initial group of five. Bear in mind that since I've taken over writing the suspect list questions, this is the sort of question that I love to ask as the bonus question. And in fact, this was going to be the bonus question until I thought it was a bit mean to split it by three. So I only split it by two. I think you you missed all that fun. Um, Dan's kind of left the, uh, the suspect list in my capable hands, and we had a lovely version built by Thomas, who I know listens, so thank you again, Thomas. And I've been writing all the bonus questions for Vidim and now Demol. Oh. And as a general rule, I think I actually kept this in the podcast when I said this to uh, to Bindles, as a general rule, the bonus questions will be an either or, as close as I can get it. But um, yeah, I was really tempted to do a three option one this week and make it, where did the mole get left behind in the bunker? Yeah, because there were the three different groups. Yeah. I did the zoo versus the bingo question instead, because I'm nice. I thought I'd make it easier for people. Do you think with the group of five, they would have thought Lot and Lancelot aren't just going to sit out almost the whole challenge, that there had to be some sort of catch to it? But I guess just because there was such a, what, 40 minutes or so between when they went underground to the end of the challenge, they probably thought that the two access badges were the was the catch for it. So they probably focused on that and completely forgot about Lot and Lancelot. Yeah, probably what they thought was that Lot and Lancelot were going to have another mini-challenge to try and steal those access passes or something. And then they would get dis- the five of them would get distracted by all of the mind games. They're playing with each other to see who can step on the minefield when to get to the next room. So there is a hidden path, and each incorrect move exposes the route for everyone else briefly, and each of them also has a hidden code in their backs, which the black light exposes that they need to keep hidden. It tests everyone's flexibility to suddenly cover up their back with their arms every time that the black light would go on. Yeah. Or my favorite was even before they went underground, when when Thomas pulls down the pedestal that contained the element and just and he just went on his back onto the ground so no one could see his code. I mean, you know about the dangers of a black light being turned on around you. Who knows what's going to be exposed? Yeah, I learned that from the office. It's always blood, urine, or semen. God, I hope it's urine. The Holy Trinity of Logan Saunders. <laughs> so Thomas is the first to grab an access pass. Toast tells him not to help, and he is the second to cross, but as before, the codes are very important. If anyone can name a code, they will swap with whoever's code they pick. Reuben and Lila are chosen to read codes, but neither of them can name a correct one, sending Thomas and Toast to the final room. And they have nine minutes left to stop the bomb, and the missing piece of the article is waiting for them in that room. It continues the sentence, they thought they could get past Fragen, with, but they were wrong, only the two above ground could pick up the past Fragen. All they can do is stop Lot and Lancelot getting the past Fragen, and they have no idea just yet. The newspaper tells them that at 4.55pm, the two above ground will be told that they can get past Fragen. At 4.57, the bunker will open, and at 4.58, a lift will rise to pick them up, and at 5pm, it will lead them to the past Fragen. If they take the past Fragen, the explosion will go off. Ruben really, really stuck out here in this challenge. 
you know, it's not the only time it's happened this season. It's uh, last season I did not, or with Vidim, I didn't think Yur was the mole because of how obvious his sabotages were. And he turned out to be the mole because no one was actively trying to sabotage. Here, I'm curious if it's going to be a repeat situation because Ruben really stuck out again in another challenge where he seemed to be the only one actively trying to make the challenge fail. Yeah, Ruben I've flip-flopped on all season because I thought he was really suspicious in the first week or two. Then he went massively down my suspicions last week. He is back up at the top of my suspicions again this week. It's him and Touch, just like it is for you. Because, yeah, he was just being a bit... He was being a bit blocky on both of the big challenges this episode. It felt like if anyone was trying to stop it succeeding, it was him in both cases. Yeah, because he was the only one in this challenge that was actively trying to sabotage. Everyone else was playing for the pot, and then we even see that with the Diary of the Mole. After the challenge where Jill says, oh, uh, looks like there's a lot of group unity, eh? And then whoever the mole is says, it's very frustrating. They can't seem to get any sort of sabotage going because everyone's playing so hard for the group. And I'm thinking the only one who didn't play for the group in this challenge appeared to be Ruben. Yeah, the the first challenge was very interesting because the mole really couldn't do anything to stop that money going in the pot unless they were Lisa Lot or Lancelot. Yeah, and then Lancelot and Lancelot had a prime opportunity to sabotage. For Lancelot, it was another opportunity to sabotage. The second episode in a row, and she doesn't take it. It might be worth going back and seeing the order of people picking their their elements. Because if Lancelot and Lancelot pick theirs really quickly, and we know Lancelot got there quickly, I can't remember when Lancelot got there, then maybe the mole was one of those five people and was kind of stopped from being able to quote-unquote sit out the challenge because Lancelot and Lancelot got there quicker. Yeah, Lancelot definitely got there fast. Yeah, I can't remember when Lancelot did. I was I was on the last minute watching it this week, so this is the sort of thing where I've thought of it and gone, ah, shit, I should have thought that before the podcast, really. The other thing is Lancelot was in a very well identical situation to twos where Lancelot says, you know what, I'm just going to say right now, I'm not being selfish anymore this season. I'm not going to sacrifice any money from the pot. And she always gets partnered up with somebody else. So if you're the mole, if you're, say, either Twos last week and Twos was the mole, he's thinking, oh, the spotlight is on me no matter what I do. That's a bit too much attention to attract onto myself. So I'm just going to have to follow Lancelot's lead. And then here, Lancelot gets partnered up with Lancelot. She does the same thing again. And Lancelot says, well... If, if he was the mole, he's got to be thinking the same thing as what we thought Tuz's thought process was last week, which is, well, I can't try and sabotage this challenge because all the attention will be on me if I am the mole. So it's the same scenario. So Lisa Lot is, no matter what, she's really blocking the mole from sabotaging this season because of how intensely she's playing for the group. The other element of this as well is something that we've not mentioned this season, but we love to mention in this sort of situation. And that is the price of Passfrag. Two and a half thousand euros per Passfrag is an obscene amount of money. Yeah, that's a big sacrifice. If it was ten Passfragen for five thousand euros, then maybe you've got an argument to go, yeah, I'm tempted by that. But two and a half thousand euros per Passfrag, nah. You can't get away with that. No one's going to turn around and go, yeah, that's an acceptable amount of money to spend on Passfragen. 
so I think in terms of just the group attitude as well, I don't think anyone, even if Lisa Lott and Lancelot was the mole, I don't think anyone can actually justify paying five thousand euros for two pass frowning. Yeah, this group sets the price quite low for even willing to take an exemption, right? They rejected, they had the same dilemma with exemptions last round because it was what, 5,000 euros that was essentially up for grabs, right? Yeah, it was. It was 5,000 euros that was up for grabs in uh, in the motel room. And that would have been for two, two exemptions. Two yeah. exemptions. So an identical price to two pass frogging. So if, they, if they're not willing to do it with, at least a lot wasn't willing to do that for two exemptions, she's sure as hell not going to do that for two pass frogging. No, I think if you'd said. If you take this pass frog, we'll give you five. Then maybe Lancelot would have been a bit more tempted. Lancelot wouldn't, because she knows that these sort of things come with consequences. But I think anyone other than Lancelot and maybe Lila would have been tempted to go for it if it was a few more pass frog and then just one. But the price of pass frog in there is way too high for anyone to get tempted. Because that's fifty percent of what's currently in the pot too. Because they were sitting, or over 50%, because they were only at, what, 9,520 euros going into this challenge? So yeah, 5,000 gets added in. That's a, what, 55% boost? <laughs> so I think I think in the context of how much money they ha- they've they earned so far, they're not going to do that for a two-pass bragging. So all they've got to do to earn the 5,000 euros is to type in the five hidden codes of those underground, which will then cut the power to the lift. The other three do not trust them in the slightest, but Lila begins to waver. And then she doesn't. Yeah, I think at this point in the episode, I was going, yeah, I don't suspect Lila that much anymore. Yeah, because that would have been a pro. She could have, all she had to do was just agree with Ruben. Yeah, because that's the thing. I don't know whether Thomas and Toast are allowed to guess. Because when it went down to just Ruben not giving them the code, they can just scroll through that wheel and try and game theory it. But there wasn't enough time, though. They only had what... There's probably a reason why they only had two minutes or whatever the hell it was before the end of the challenge. It was nine minutes to begin with. And I think I think they started getting Lila and Comfort's codes maybe with about five minutes to go. And obviously they had their own ones. Yeah, because they had about two or three minutes left, I remember, at one point when they were close to being done. If they were allowed to just kind of keep guessing at Ruben's code, then I think they probably had enough time. But I suspect they probably weren't allowed to keep guessing at Ruben's code because that kind of defies the point of the uh, challenge. I guess, yeah. Or maybe they did try and it just went unaired since it wasn't relevant to the storyline or the outcome of the challenge. So Toast and Thomas failed to stop the lift, but the money can still be earned if no Passfragen are moved. Lancelot and Lancelot touch the Passfragen, but don't remove them earning the group 5,000 euros for the pot. And Jill even tells them, after the challenge, to never believe anything that they've read in the papers. <laughs> Apparently he's turned into a conspiracy theorist. He's, imagine if he said, yeah, never believe what's in the papers. And do you guys see the chemtrails up in the sky right now? <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about conspiracy theories, just have a look at the the article they claim is written by Sean Hannity in that uh, <laughs> in, in that front page. If if you know anything about the professional madman David Icke, he's mentioned in that uh, in that article. He's the one who believes that the royal family are actually lizard people. Be funny if Jill says, "By the way, we have provided you guys with alternate toothpaste 
no fluoride in it, so you're not susceptible to government control. <laughs> oh, this show. The, the thing is, we joke about these things, but it's entirely plausible that they would do those sort of things. Just for a laugh. <laughs> this is a show that in a few minutes we will talk about them doing a game of bingo to try and win money for the pot. This is a show that has had them chased by horses. This is a show that next week is going to do the Joey Chestnut Memorial Challenge and make them competitive eat. This is the smartest, dumbest show on television anywhere in the world. It's quite the label. I'm sure Papa Bear Jill DaCosta is proud of that. The smartest, dumbest show on television. It's a moniker that I've heard applied to the television program The Good Place, and it applies here as well. So as you said, we did get a diary of them all, and that is Jill saying they don't make it easy for you. So frustrating, but what can I do? Normally everyone takes Tosferogon immediately. There's a very strong group feeling, and I must not stand out too much so no one dares to go against the group. That sense of group feeling could change tomorrow, right? Yes, I'm really curious about tomorrow night. Also, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Gotham shall be destroyed. This is a joke that absolutely Logan forgot about from last year, but it really made me laugh when I did it last year, so I'm doing it again. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That's quite the twist, too. I wish the newspaper would have mentioned that uh, the, whoever the mole is for this season uh, also morphs into Bane whenever they meet with Jill DaCosta. Not going to lie, I did cheer when I saw the the tagline for Diary of the Mole, because I'm like, yes, I get to do stupid jokes again. I love Diaries of the Mole. We've missed them after four episodes. Yeah, they didn't go for the past for Logan. And what's interesting to note is that the plan was for the 5,000 euros to be sacrificed for the two Pasfragen. That's a question to ask Jill is, does he regret not making the challenge worth a bit less money or the pass, or just switching it up with the Pasfragen because he just underwent the two exemptions being rejected for 5,000 euros. So what was the mole supposed to really do in that situation given what happened in the previous episode i assume they couldn't change the amount because everything's said ahead of time because jill must have must have been thinking going into that challenge that they were probably going to take the five thousand. yeah and it's also worth pointing out this is by far the cheapest episode of the season in terms of the rise money there's only eleven thousand euros on after this episode which arguably is more than the Vidum pots have been since Renaissance. But the average up until this episode has been somewhere floating around 14,000 an episode. And I keep forgetting that Ruben apparently is a pastry chef. He is. He's a patissier, which I knew what it was even before I got the translation. He's a pastry chef. Although, arguably, tiramisu, not pastry. I like how his dessert did not quite match the very heavy and dense American barbecue meal that they had for dinner. Yeah, and also that didn't look very much like tiramisu to me. I know he said it was, and I'm sure it actually was, but it didn't look like tiramisu to me. Because tiramisu is cake soaked in some sort of alcohol that's made with coffee. Layla had an alcohol-free one, I believe. She's the only person left in the game that doesn't drink. Well, she's not, that's the thing. Because Lancelot, it was established on the train ride, doesn't drink. Maybe he didn't know that there was alcohol in it. Because the, the two people on the train ride who didn't drink were Lancelot and Samia. 
and then Lila was obviously on the ground team for that, so we didn't know whether she drinks or not. But I'm presuming, given that she's from a Moroccan background, that that she's probably of a Muslim heritage. Yeah, high high chance. That's what that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Lancelot doesn't drink, but he still had the normal tiramisu, although it's like cooking wine, I think, in tiramisu. Yeah, from my limited knowledge. Whenever I go to our local Italian restaurant, I don't have tiramisu, I have chocolate cake. Which, by the time that this comes out, I will have gone to that Italian restaurant again, because this comes out on my dad's birthday. Oh. Well, happy birthday to Ray. I was going to say, this is the point where Logan has to now try and remember what my dad's name is. <laughs> and I'm pleased to say that you passed. Yeah. Roy, not Ray. That's Ray. <laughs> so it's day 10 in Tucson, and some people wake up with some rather sore heads. And we even see in the car that Toast and Comfort are already asleep. And we get a roadrunner crossing. Meep, meep. Gilles promises three of them a glimpse into the future and asks who wants to spend some quality time with local seniors this afternoon in the bingo temple behind him. Bingo temple? Is that like a, is that one of those, like the fundamental Latter-day Saints type of temple, but just with bingo in it? Yes. And the other four will do something a little bit more active. Lisa Lot immediately volunteers for bingo, as do Toast and Lancelot. And the other four are off to the zoo, or the zoo as they call it. Zoo. Which is also how France pronounces it, for the record. Mm-hmm. Zoo is a game on Fort Boyard. And if they do well, they could be very useful to the bingo players. The bingo players could earn 3,000 euros with their game of bingo, but to make things a little bit more fair, as they are sprightly young athletes, Gilles has provided them with a girt, an ageing suit. It consists of poor vision, poor hearing, and joint pain, amongst other things. At least they didn't include adult diapers, too. No, that's the next stage. Where would you have placed yourself? Would you have wanted to play bingo or not? I think I, I think bingo would have been interesting there. Yeah, because the thing is, you know if you're going to be playing bingo on Demol, it's not going to be normal bingo. There's going to be some sort of twist. <laughs> the twist is seniors troll you non-stop while you're playing bingo. <laughs> yeah, the twist is being around some really bitchy people for the afternoon it's competitive have you ever been to a bingo hall i've not been to a bingo hall but i have um, been there when it's got a bit competitive on a cruise unsurprisingly yeah they don't fuck around in the, the bingo temple yeah some of these women were not biting their tongues in this bingo yeah hall. patricia who the hell is she was she the one who mocks lancelot when he said when he said we got one left she's like oh you've got one left no, that was the other woman. Patricia's the one that wins at the end and says, I got it, motherfuckers, I got it. <laughs> In your face. I think Sharon was the one who uh, who mocked Lancelot. Yeah. And I like how Lancelot didn't even want to introduce himself by his actual name. He just says, I- I'm Lance. I suspect it probably causes too many questions because then they say, oh, is your sister Guinevere? And he has to then actually announce what his siblings' names are, which are just as wild as Lancelot. Genuinely, Lancelot's siblings are named Oberon, Lonegrin, and Iphigenia. For real? Yeah. Yeah, because he was most notable before Demol for um, being on some sort of documentary about families with weird names. 
I wonder if he also introduced himself as Lance to the elderly American population, because I think out of all the contestants we've seen on Belgian Law, Lancelot is the least comfortable speaking English. Because we even ran, uh, who was, when we went to the finale, the Vietnam finale, I think the least comfortable English speaker was Yuri. It was Yuri Obaha, I would say. Yeah. And they were still being able to carry a fluent conversation, but Lance is the first person I've seen on Belgian Mall that struggled a bit because he was at trying to answer a question, but he was answering in Flemish and he said, ah, yeah, you know, fuck it, screw it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try. <laughs> that was after the second round where the woman next to him was talking about, how do you say well done in your language? As she phrased it. And he's like, who could on? He's like, "Hut is good. And her done. And then he just, I think it was a conjugation of the verb was the translation of what he said. He's just like, yeah, don't matter. Yeah, it's like, screw it, fuck it. We're not going to see each other again anyway. <laughs> you're going to you're gonna forget it by, by the end of this game. Well, uh, by the end of this game, Sharon, it's not my job to teach you Flemish. Uh, Lonegrin is Lancelot's twin brother, by the way. Just to take it one step further. He's a twin. He is a twin. How majestic. So in the first round, they can earn 500 euros if they are the first with a complete line. And as Bingo is a game of chance, their chance of earning money is entirely luck-based. At the zoo is a board of all the bingo numbers on their card, and to help their teammates claim them, they can answer questions using the zoo-based knowledge. For each number they pick, they have three minutes to try and claim it, and a correct answer brings the number up as a bonus ball in the bingo hall for everyone. However, incorrect answers let the old people cross out a number of their choice. Where do you think the mole would want to be on this? Zoo. Yeah. I kind of agree. It's the only reason why I'm wavering on Tosa a little bit this episode is you have way more control at the zoo. Yeah, you have you have complete control over the outcome of the challenge. You can keep running into those elderly people who, as Joe DaCosta phrased it, are looking for youthful companions. I love that twist so much because it just comes completely out of left field. And more importantly, they don't really refer to it again after the second time it happens. It's just a woman comes up to them and just starts, she's just paid to... Imagine being hired as a, being one of the senior people at the zoo and, and production says, okay, your job here is to find these Belgian people and ramble ramble about some pointless topic and make them look at pictures of members of your family. At a person named Ruby Rose. I just I love the the stupid theming of this episode. It just warmed my heart how silly this episode was. Which do you think Lancelot would have hated more? The bingo hall or constantly being approached by the elderly people at the zoo and having to look at pictures of Ruby Rose? He definitely would have got way more frustrated at the elderly people in the zoo, I think. There's not a question in my mind. I think he would have got way more frustrated at that. Once again, Lancelot just doesn't look like he's having fun <laughs> playing this season. I think he just has a bit of a resting bitch face, I'll be honest. I think he probably is having way more fun than than we'd think. He's just so locked in on the game that there yeah. isn't that emotional expression. Maybe he, he volunteers at his senior's home back in Belgium. We don't know. He just struggles to show his emotions, I think. I wish they, were, they would have showed the unaired footage of him getting into a fight with Pat Patricia at Bingo. 
So once per round, the bingo team can ring the zoo to tell them which numbers to avoid and which to go for. And also in the park are two seniors looking for company, and if they come across a candidate, then the candidates must stand there and listen to them talk about their families for two minutes. And they get the question about meerkats wrong, and give Diane a chance to call bingo, and lose them 500 euros. The second round is worth a thousand euros for a cross, and within about five balls, the woman in front of them tries to call bingo, but it's not a cross, and she is also the one who gets a bit pissy with Lancelot later. Yeah, Tuz points out that she didn't win. Yeah, I think that's the point where she kind of turns on them a little bit. Well, yeah, Tuz ratted her out. She's a phony. She didn't get bingo. She's a phony. And now we need to talk about my favourite moment of the entire episode. And I think you probably know where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> is this the other two's interaction? This is the other Ruben interaction. Oh, there's two. There's two. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, two. That's the very next note after the two's interaction. And by Ruben interaction, I of course mean the interaction between Ruben's walkie-talkie and a child's face. <laughs> <laughs> and then production says, oh, shit, you just knocked out Noah. I am not lying when I say this. I have six separate screenshots of this moment, purely because this is definitely our banner this week. Yeah, Ruben gonna knock you out. It made me laugh so much that I just needed to get the perfect expression on Ruben, Thomas, and the little child's face to make it our banner this week, and it is. But it took six attempts, and it was so worth it. In the next episode... The Tucson Today newspaper will be delivered and the headline will be Belgian man knocks out young Arizona boy, boy in hospital with concussion symptoms. My favourite thing about this (laughs) is the fact there is no need for them to show it in the episode. They showed it because it's funny. It has no relevance to the challenge. It has no relevance to them succeeding at this challenge. It's purely the fact that they find it intrinsically hilarious that Ruben clocked a child in the face. Yeah, I wonder if the the kid got to have tiramisu in the hospital. Well, the thing is, out of everyone in this cast, who would you want to hit hit you in the face? You'd probably say Ruben, (laughs) purely because he'll bake you a banging cake to say sorry. Yeah. And then, uh... I can't remember which elderly woman it was at the bingo hall where she asks Tuz, oh, how are you doing? And then Tuz says, oh, uh, he shows her the sheet. Oh, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Not bad. And then the woman squints. I think it was Sharon who squints at the paper and says, oh, but not good either. <laughs> it was it was Diane. Oh, Diane. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, you know, not not bad, Diane. Thanks for asking. Oh, well, you're not you're not you're not doing bad, but you're not doing good either. They're just so unnecessarily bitchy to these candidates. And I suspect that they were probably told just amp it up a little bit for fun. But they're just so mean. Yeah, it's Arizona. And then it was funny that this was in round two where the last number that Sharon and the players needed was B12. Which is funny because seniors really need B12. And they do get the 12 question correct and managed to call Bingo before she does, and she is so annoyed at them. Was there a callback to the South Africa season? Because it was a question about white rhinos, and I'm thinking, well, is is, um, is a Lynn there to, uh, to answer it for them, or screw it up? There 100% was a callback, because not only did we have a question about the white rhinos, but there was also a question about the uh, stress vogel, as they call it, or the ostrich. They knew what they were doing. 
I guess when you're on season 11, you can start making those callbacks more consistently, especially, well, the 10th anniversary season was all callbacks, and now they're just sprinkling them in now just because there's that much lore and history to Belgian Mall now. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to this, but the last challenge of this episode was basically just a retooled version of the Ruth Paintball game. Yeah. So the final round is worth 1,500 euros, and they need a full card, but they are only three numbers short. They go down to one more number, but Patricia also has one number left, and we also get to see how pissed off Sharon is when she mocks Lancelot and goes, oh, you've only got one number left. Yeah, I think it was twos who told her. Getting close, getting close, Sharon, we only need one. Hey, we only need one, we only need one. Shut the fuck up, twos. However, Thomas and Reuben get cornered by a senior at the bear exhibit, leaving Lila and Comfort to have to go it alone. <laughs> they guess, letting Patricia win the final round. And her exclamation is, of course, I got it, motherfuckers. I got it, motherfuckers, I got it. By God is my witness, I've got motherfucking bingo. <laughs> and imagine... Just if somebody asked me, oh, well, what, you know, can you explain Belgian Mold to me? What, or somebody just coming in like, oh, did they did they win? Did they win the challenge? Oh, no, because at the last second at the zoo, an elderly woman approached the two contestants. So the other team had to guess the answer. It was a wild guess and they got it wrong. So an elderly woman scored bingo. So they failed the challenge. She scored bingo and then <laughs> shouted, I got it, motherfuckers. Yeah, so they lost because of the zoo and the... Uh, forget it, you won't understand. Too long to explain. I'm as frustrated as Lancelot right now trying to explain things. As I exclaimed so many weeks when watching this show, this fucking show. I like when Thomas was trying to work on it and he didn't notice that it was beats instead of bears. I was thinking, is that supposed to be a reference to The Office? Bears, beats... Battlestar Galactica. I don't know, but also, if you were Tucson Zoo, you wouldn't want to promote the fact that you don't spell check your exhibits. Kind of plays into that southern stereotype. So that means that they earn a thousand euros of three thousand euros for this challenge. And Jill warns them that tonight there will be another execution, and it carries with it the chance of a red screen. However, the person who earns tonight's red screen will receive the chance to travel back in time and redo parts of the test. He also tells us that the only time you learn something about your suspicions in Demol is when you go home, but not tonight. For once, the red screen can be used strategically. How do you feel about this twist? Of course, if the player gets the red screen and then follows it up with the green screen, that's a pretty hefty advantage. Yeah, because going back to our love of Belkia Law, we've always said that Belkia Law says... You can't go home without a red screen, but then obviously through the weather-related reasons, if you trust Shields' protestations on this topic, that they would have given Jens a red screen. But also if you see a red screen, you go home. Now obviously there are exceptions to the rule with that one, namely Bertrand, namely, Bertrand, namely technically Ruth as well. She saw a red screen and she had a chance to come back. And we saw her get a red screen and she had a chance to come back. I don't hate this twist as much as a lot of people, because I've always said that using the red screen strategically is actually an interesting thing when this sort of twist comes up. So I kind of like it. And also they do it in a really fun way. And 
the whole tying it into the episode title by getting a fucking DeLorean, which would have cost them a bomb. That's why they can't offer as much money this season. They had to rent a freaking DeLorean for 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 an hour. Those DeLoreans are not cheap. Well, no, they know they know who's going to rent one. They know people are willing to pay a lot of money just to sit in a DeLorean for 20 minutes. So yeah, I don't really hate this twist as much as a lot of people going, oh, it's not fair to Lila or all to comfort that she had a chance. But yeah, I like it. How would you feel if they, if Jill didn't tell them that this was the twist ahead of time and he didn't announce until after they had all taken the quiz? Oh no, I think that would have been worse. Because telling them beforehand gives them the opportunity to think about it strategically. And also it's entirely fair. There's no even implications of any funny business happening if you say, oh, this is going to happen. If you do it retrospectively, it looks like you're trying to just help out whoever got the red screen. Yeah, that's always the problem with the uh, Vidim. And the other side to this twist is if everyone was still splitting on the quiz, then maybe they would rule out more people. Because in this way, everyone was contemplating just going all in on one person. And you realize Layla really deserve to go home because she said, oh, even without this twist, I was going to go down to one suspect. That we haven't heard in quite some time for Belgian Mole. No one goes to one suspect this early, and for good reason. So she she already had Mad Tunnel busy by this point in the season. It's also really interesting timing because going on to our suspicions, at Final 7 is the time when you should drop to two people, according to our rules. So this is kind of the turning point where you start actually pinpointing your suspicions, and it forces people, if they want to take advantage of the twist, to then actually narrow their suspicions, maybe a bit more than they want to. Do you think Comfort unmasked the mole this week? No. Do you think it's just because... Because Layla went all in on one person, and Comfort presumably did too. So there's a good chance that all she needed was one, maybe two points just by grouping questions for her to beat Layla. It could have even come down to time, for all we know. Yeah, and also, on top of all that, the questions that we saw her repeat weren't ones really that were individual answers with the exception of question 20, which is always who is the ball. Right. So she, it could have just been that she only needed one or two answers and that was it. That's the thing. You can't really put too much stock into... Comfort surviving and Lila going home instead because it could have been a time thing, it could have been one point difference. She could have just accidentally blazed through a question that she knew she'd got wrong. And I'm surprised that the players didn't pressure Layla and Lisa a lot more into not helping Comfort. I think they probably knew that if they didn't help her, she would still guess and try and cost them money. I think it was less a trying to help comfort thing and more trying to not let the pot be completely drained by this challenge. Yeah, lose another 3k. Yeah, because in the end, of the 3k on offer, they lose a thousand euros. So they could have gone down to 12,520 with this challenge. So it's time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Comfort says, so far she's been quite spread out, but now the time has come to narrow down your suspicions. 
Lancelot is betting on two people and is trying to exclude someone once and for all. Lancelot isn't playing strategically. She's got a strong suspicion of who it is, but it is not strong enough to put everything on them just yet. Toast made his decision within five seconds. He was waiting for this opportunity to come up. Ruben's going to put everything on his main suspect as it's worked out so well so far. Thomas is going to keep spreading, but put more on one person than he originally intended. And it was Lila's plan to go all in on this test regardless. She's going all in on them all, and she won't make any mistakes about who they are. Huh. I mean, at this point, the writing's on the wall for Lila, I think. Gilles hopes that they've thought carefully about their tactics, as one person will be allowed to time travel. And time travel is, of course, done in style. Then, in Into the Car Park, screeches (laughs) a fucking DeLorean. This is much better than Survivor's travel back in time twist, where it was just an hourglass and a hatchet. Survivor gets one-upped here. When they did the coming up thing, and and you heard the tire screech, I'm like, please be a DeLorean, please be a DeLorean. That would be so (laughs) badass if they get a DeLorean. And then, as soon as the DeLorean turns up, I'm like, this show... This show is just brilliant. Especially they uh, they did the visual effect of the DeLorean disappearing. Yep. <laughs> it's just so good. What if she really traveled back in time? So Thomas and Lila get green screens before Comfort is given the chance to go back in time. She says she is stressed about the prospect and wonders what awaits her. And Jill says it's usually the point where he tells them it's over, but not this time. Before she can answer questions, she has to play a challenge. And each correctly chosen... Childhood photo of the other candidates will earn two questions that she can redo and 500 euros for the pot. However, each incorrectly chosen photo earns minus 500 euros. Would you have helped her? No, I would not. Because it means I could go home and I want to advance. I think it's tough because you have to balance the whole I don't want to go home bit with I don't want to cost the group too much money bit unless you're the mole. I think it's probably more interesting who immediately said no, and that was Tosin, Ruben, and Thomas, than who immediately wavered or maybe said yes. Yeah, Layla was the only immediate yes. Yeah. And that's because she's a nice person. But as we saw in this episode, she wasn't that suspicious anymore. What if her not, what if the person she went all in on got the red screen? Then you'd be putting your head between your legs and kissing your ass goodbye, I think. Would she still have helped? I think she would have probably been a little bit more reluctant. <laughs> Just a little bit. Wouldn't that be crazy, though, if she did go all in on comfort and just did not think think this through? It's going to be really interesting in five weeks' time to find out who she suspected, I think. Do you think they would ever give them all the red screen in this case? <sighs> you would hope not? I have enough faith in production, I don't think they would. But, having said that, there is historical precedent. Yeah, because of Mall Australia. Yeah, because of Mall Australia. There is historical precedent for this sort of a twist and the Mall being quote-unquote eliminated. Yeah, but I just don't see Belgian Mall going down that route. But then it's lame if you say, oh, if we'd ever do any sort of twist, the Mall is never going to be executed because then the audience says, well, then that means comfort can't be the mole. I think they probably would never put the mole in that position, just in case. But they're very good at keeping up the level of suspicion, just so you think that they maybe will do it eventually. Possibly, but they won't. No, 
just still be tricky enough to where the players think, well, it could be comfort and production says, no, we would never do that. But even if we tell them before the season, we would never do that. They may still fall for that trap. It also crosses the line a little bit towards production meddling in the boot order. Yeah. There's a bit of a grey area there, and not that they would ever do it, obviously, but there is the unfortunate optics, potentially, of it. And Lisa Lott, I think this is the she's the first person since Lloyd to be 100% invested in playing for the group, or playing for the pot, I should say. Yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Lisa Lott is is a contestant right now, after the past two episodes especially. I was wavering on her a little bit last week because she was a bit suspicious with the the exemption non-pick in the end. But yeah, I think I think I can be pretty confident she's a contestant right now. Which is a shame because she's on my team. Yeah, but it's that'll be a hell of a... She'd be a hell of a mole if she was. So Lila chooses to give her photo, but Lancelot doesn't. Letting her back in the game gives her a huge amount of information, and you don't unmask the mole in episode 4, you do it in the finale. Thomas's heart says yes, but his mind says no. Reuben and Toast also say no, as does Lancelot, and Lisa Lot says she's going to follow the group's decision. Lila's the only one to volunteer to help her, and Comfort says she's going to guess for the others. She gets herself right, which gives her two questions, but no money, and Lila also gives her the correct photo. Her impassioned speech convinces Lisa Lot to help her, and she's correct and earns two more questions and another 500 euros. Thomas then refuses to help and she gets the wrong photo for him. It's the same for Toast and they're back to zero. She also gets his wrong for Lancelot and Reuben for a total of six elimination questions, minus 1,000 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, 5,000 of 11,000 for the episode, and 14,520 euros of 52,500 for the season so far. Because she's gone back in time, she gets to redo the last six questions. Lila says it's every man for himself but she just wants to be able to sleep at night with her decisions. I I mean, Comfort could have done so much more here, like, just even within Belgian Mole. She's got a DeLorean. She could have just gone back to the Canary Islands, prevent Nayla's fall, convince production not to pick Philippe as the Mole. Yeah, and then with the Anka, yeah, just be like, wait, 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 Anka, Anka, don't jump. Don't jump, you'll get very badly hurt. Then you'll win the season. And then she could have jumped into DeLorean again and maybe go back to, I don't know, Germany in 1933, put a whole stop to what was going to go on there. Like, so much. So, so many lives could have been saved and, you know, saved the 10th anniversary season of Belgian Mold. But all she does is with it is she's got a DeLorean and all she did is take six questions on a quiz. Uh, do you know how hard it's, it is to time travel? You don't get to do that every day. So Comfort's screen is immediately shown, and it's green, meaning someone else is going home. Lancelot and Reuben also get green screens before Lila is the one to go home. She says she played, she lost, she thought she knew who the mole was. And she'll ask her if it's ironic that she was the only one so willing to help Comfort. Nope. <laughs> she just shoots him down right away. No, it wasn't ironic, Jill. You're wrong. She had to know that question was coming, though. Yeah. Comfort's obviously upset. And Thomas thought she was so frail until she started talking. And she says the rodeo is her highlight. She looks so tiny, but she's an incredibly strong woman. Next time, Lancelot and Lisa Lot fly planes. Reuben gets mustarded. There's blindfolded shopping, and Toast goes upside down in a plane. Yeah, what's the name of that game show? The su- super supermarket sweep. Yes, yeah, supermarket sweep. Yeah. And with Lila going home, you now only have Reuben and Thomas in your pool team, 
I feel good about that. And I still have Lancelot, Comfort, Toast and Lancelot, meaning that no matter what happens, I'm guaranteed someone in the final. On First Suspicions, our current leader with a score of 22, where the minimum possible is 21, is April Pride 15, and our current loser is, of course, still my first impressions with a score of 39. Three people, me and Femke on First Impressions and Sandra on First Suspicions, had her at number one, while only one person, Matt on First Impressions, had her in number nine. And the adjusted order is now Lancelot on 3.08 out of six, Ruben on 3.12, Comfort on 3.2, Toast on 3.36, Thomas on 3.4, and Lancelot on 4.84. Ruben drops one spot from last week, Lancelot's up two, and Thomas and Toast swap. And as always, you can do the Bobber's Mouse suspect list each week at suspectlist.rtbyways.com or the link in our bio. Now, final two questions. Who do you suspect? So my order is Ruben, Twos, Comfort, Thomas, Lancelot, Lancelot. And I swear we haven't swapped notes on this, but my order is Ruben, then Toast, then Thomas, then Comfort, then Lancelot, and then Lancelot. Yeah, I might be switching. I'll probably be switching Comfort down a spot next week. Maybe be switching her and Lancelot, potentially. It's good that it's this week, because this week is the first one where we're only doing our top two suspicions actually counting. And I think there's a pretty big gulf between Ruben and Toast and the other four at the moment. Yeah, it's a huge, huge gap. I don't even really suspect the bottom four. You can very much pair them up in that Ruben and Toast are so unbelievably suspicious. Thomas and Comfort, mm, slightly middling, but a lot lower than the other two. And then Lancelot and Lancelot, definitely not after this week. Imagine if Ruben or Toos goes home. Oh, it'd be hilarious. I mean, as much as I love Ruben for his comedic potential, Ruben going home would screw your pool. You know, I was thinking it would really, um, then the season would get interesting. We really need Ruben and Toos to both go home and just confuse the hell out of everybody. Do you think it's fair to say at this point that the mole is going to be a guy? Well, it's certainly not Lancelot. Oh yeah, Lancelot and Comfort are the only two women left. <laughs> um. I was thinking about this earlier, like, Comfort, I think we can maybe rule out after this week, because they probably wouldn't give them all the red screen, and it's definitely not Lancelot, which kind of means it's probably a guy again. Probably, yeah. I mean, those are the only two options, right? And one of, one of them was ruled out even before this execution, and the other one is... Has, he has to be ruled out. And last week, production did tell us who Belgium suspected after three episodes. Toast more than doubled to take top spot with 26.8%, followed by Lancelot on 16.9%, Ruben on 15.1%, Lila on 11.4%, Thomas on 10.6%, Comfort on 10.4%, and Lancelot on 8.8%. How is she not at zero? Because people still suspected her last week. Maybe not after this week. This week is going to be super interesting. Obviously, we record this on a Tuesday. They usually release those on a Wednesday, so I'm going to be fascinated to find out what this week's suspicions are. Final question. Who do you think's going home next week? Lisa Lott is still in this. Maybe Thomas. Thomas might be going. Yeah, Thomas would be an interesting one, because obviously, not just from our pool point of view, it would then mean that you're down to literally just Ruben versus my four on the last week where we can swap. But... I've never really suspected Thomas, and kind of by default he's third now, because the other three below him are very much not suspicious. But I just want to know for certain if it's Thomas or not. I want to rule him out immediately, if I can. So, Thomas going would be good. I think I'm going to plump for Lancelot, though. 
Lance Lance is going. Yeah. I don't know, I just kind of feel it in my my bones a little bit that Lancelot's time on Demoli's coming to an end. And watch him get all the way to the final when I say those things, but And he wins. Yeah. Like I don't think we've seen enough of him to suggest that he's gonna make it to the final three. Because bearing in mind of this of, of this group that we have left, half of them are now going to make the final. Yeah, I guess three out of six is fifty percent. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Thank you, Connie, for our abrupt maths lesson. <laughs> yeah, half of these people are going to make the finals. So at this point, we start kind of looking at who we can see in the final three, regardless of who may be the mole or not. And I, I don't think Lancelot's going to be there. Have you got anything else you want to say about this episode? Nope. Good. Even better. Oh, they played the last episode by... by... Dr. Dre during the episode. Did I mention that yet? No. They did. They played the last episode. They played that at the start of round three of Bingo. If you listen to it, it's only for about three seconds, but it was definitely that beat. It was definitely that song. I thought, is that supposed to be a reference to me and this my sign-off for this podcast every single week for the past five years? At this point, we're just reading into the fact that production are just appealing to us, I think. Yeah. Hidden messages for us, for RTV Warriors. I am perfectly happy to take any sort of bullshit from production that they want to slip into the episode for us. But yeah, it's right as round three of Bingo starts, that beat plays. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Belkia Season 11 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the newest mall in Arizona. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are TV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Lugsquacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Don't forget you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. <laughs>